Broadcasting live from Godzilla, Edge of History, this is Pop Culture Reference. Your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, young Wyatt Russell. And I'm one of your other hosts, young John Goodman? <laughs> Wait, that doesn't make sense anymore. Wait, what? That's okay. I mean, hey, whatever. Flashback John Goodman? I don't know however you want to say that. I, I am, I'm excited that he's just involved with this, if I'm being honest. Me too. I'm sure he came in for one day on a green screen and got a nice little <laughs> yeah. paycheck. And... They just scanned his face in from Skull Island. They just had they just had the footage or something. That wouldn't even honestly surprise me very much. But we're not talking about Monarch Legacy of Monsters yet, Seamus. We do have some news to get through, and it's we have a decent amount of news to get through, I'll say. And starting off with some pretty exciting news. I know me and you are both pretty big fans of Tom Cruise's work and he has just signed a deal with Warner Brothers to produce and star in some yet to be announced franchises and titles at Warner Brothers. I am pretty excited. I know there's already a few rumors going around about some Tom Cruise specific projects that might be getting, you know, sequels or new projects to be attached to, but I I know it's it's pretty solid news all around, I would say that that he's getting involved. He's always a very good dedicated producer when he works really closely with films like the stuff that Warner Brothers puts out. Well, I'm very curious to see. I'm a little bit surprised that he made a deal with Zaslav with how, I mean, he has been semi-vocal about his disappointment with films getting shelved and, and things like that. And I wonder how much influence he's going to have over other aspects uh, of Warner Brothers. For example, he's going to have an office on the Warner Brothers lot. And despite his decades-long relationship with Paramount, that's never something that he has had on, on their lot. So it seems like he's really here to stay. And we will certainly get a little bit more into it during our pop culture reference, which is going to deep dive into the history of Cruz's relationship with studios. But coming up next, uh, something to drag our hopes and dreams of our favorite Star Wars franchise stuff down. The Mandalorian and Grogu movie, which is just not my favorite title at all. That that has been officially announced, and I am just I have about as much hope for something like that as I do for the rest of the seasons of The Mandalorian at this point. So I, I'm not sure if, if they're going to be able to pull something like this off this early feeling i know it's not it's so many years later but it feels it feels a little like they're jumping the gun here i agree and i i'm of two minds about it because i don't i'm not interested in this i don't want this i do not think it will do as well as they think it will however i see the merit in them going hey here are the two most successful characters that our franchise has seen in literal decades maybe we should consider, because I like bringing Star Wars back to the theater. That is a good thing. You and I say that every time we talk about a Star Wars thing on this show. So the idea of them going, okay, we've got these uber successful characters and we want to bring them into like the most mainstream Star Wars could be. I appreciate that, but I do not think it will be good. So I think that, like, well, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to the theater to see it no matter what, unfortunately. So that'll, it'll be interesting to see how they can pull that off. We're, we often with these Mando seasons that we cover Mando bros, famously, there's no direction. The, the, they set up things that they ultimately abandon pretty much a few episodes into a season, putting it on the big screen. Maybe they will be forced to make something like this matter a little more. I'm, I'm looking forward to f feeling the anti be up in this kind of 
realm, this timeline that they have set up so much stuff with. Make it something just interesting and cool, big, big event. I'll, I'll still probably get the Star Wars tangles from it once we get to the big spaceship battle climax against uh, Cyborg Gideon. I don't know what they're going to do for, for a conflict or whatever, but, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see it, even if it is bad. I mean, Favreau's directing it, which once upon a time would have been a good thing, and I'm just, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's... <sighs> It'll be something to watch out for. I feel like at, at the same time as like I feel like they might find a way to put put like a Rogue One kind of spin on things where it's like it is its own kind of sectioned off adventure away from bigger names. You know, we'll get CGI Luke Skywalker in the big screen and it'll be the most noticeable thing ever on a massive IMAX screen <laughs> or it'll it'll feel like the early days of Mando where he felt like his own character and, and he wanted his own things that didn't have to do with every plot arc in the Clone Wars at one point. So I, I don't know. I do not know. I don't know when Ahsoka and Thrawn and Ezra and Sabine and Bo-Katan and Boba Fett. <laughs> Dude, remember when they were like, in seven years we're going to have a movie that'll culminate everything, and now they're just like, yeah, maybe we'll just do it now. Maybe we'll do a culmination movie every couple of years now, and it's going to be it's gonna be awful. I really hope not. I really, I don't know. I think this shows that they've learned all the wrong lessons from the Marvel bubble bursting. Yeah. <laughs> So, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. But for the second week in a row, Seamus, uh, it was our inaugural one last week. But we do, of course, have an Amazon attack. Amazon Warning, attack. Amazon attack. You're in danger, pop culture reference. Several hundred people are going to be laid off as Amazon Studios and MGM are consolidating which is exactly what we predicted would happen back when Amazon bought MGM, what, mm. two years ago, three years ago? Yeah, when when we had weird thoughts about Bond things that were happening at the same time. Yeah, that's true also, but boy, howdy, is this not even a little bit surprising? And they said that, that this wasn't going to happen, and guess what? It did happen, and it's super disappointing, and it's, once again, not not surprising. Yeah, very sadly unsurprising. I mean, I we I feel like we have these al news alerts so often, and, and at least 30% of the time, it's just like massive wave of layoffs, and it's going to just, the content is going to suffer, the, the quality of things is going to suffer. It, it always, it, nothing is ever gained by the artists or the consumers. It's it's just big corporate lies being pulled off here to, to make sure that their bottom line is, is fluffed up. Speaking of... Disney Danger! Oh, back into the Disney Danger! Oh, God, God, I'm talking about back to back. I'm rocking back and forth in my chair. Like, <laughs> anybody can see that. It'll come through. But uh, more layoffs. Pixar will be laying off as much as 20% of their employees in 2024, which I understand that Pixar movies have not done particularly mm. well these last few years, but this seems to me more like a self-fulfilling prophecy that of course they haven't done well because they've not been promoted well they've not been released in movie theaters it, it, there's been nothing but but the deck stacked against pixar over the last several years and i mean 20 percent of an animation studio that is massive numbers it kind of feels like back in 2011 when John Lasseter was the head of Walt Disney Animation and he released the Winnie the the like 
it was like a 70 minute Winnie the Pooh 2D animated movie the same week as Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. And he was like, well, that movie did super bad. So this is a reason to shutter the entire 2D animation department oh, at God. Disney. And I, this feels like that to me, where they're just like, oh, well, we, we did a really bad job releasing and marketing and distributing these films. So obviously the answer is massive layoffs. Yeah, it's a it's a the producer style, like planned failure to gain money in a way that really screws a ton of people in the meantime. It's it's definitely not great, but... But I mean, what what has even been coming out of Pixar in the last? Like, I've surely not kept up with any of that stuff. I don't think I'm trying to even remember the Soul, last Pixar movie. Luca, Turning oh, Red. Soul was solid, but I think that was probably the last thing. That was like COVID streaming release, right? Yep. Disney Plus. Well, and that's the thing, Turning Red and Luca, even though they could have come out in theaters, were also separate oh, streaming. I see. The only theatrical Pixar movie, I believe, that has come out since the pandemic was Lightyear, which was bad. Which and was nobody saw bad. and nobody liked. <laughs> so, so that is that is such a that is such a bummer. I, I used to love a good Pixar movie from time to time, but man, I mean, yeah, it's like you said, it seems like they're kind of, it's planned to ramp down as, as long as nobody's going feverish for like Elemental or whatever. Oh, I forgot about Elemental. That's, I didn't even see Elemental. What so. nobody cared about, like I it came out and then I was like fully unaware until weeks later when somebody was making jokes about it. Yeah, they they just don't know what to do with that studio anymore. It, it's sad to say that I, I yearn for the days of Coco and Incredibles 2 because like, it's not like Pixar was even in their glory days then, but I mean, P Coco's wonderful, but... And Incredibles, I mean, they had a little, they had what seemed like a little bit of a renaissance going for themselves and then it just turned to like, I don't know, it... it it seemed like the things that were coming out were a little more boring to at least me, an adult man who's been following the Pixar stuff since I was a kid, but it just, it wasn't grabbing me. It didn't seem like there was any real reason to not just go back to the good classics, if anything. So, I mean, we'll see what this thir this 20% does for them. I, I couldn't imagine that it's going to help the, the quality of what they're trying to pump out here. No, this seems like maybe an effort to consolidate everything under the anim Disney animation banner, which would be a real loss. I mean, Pixar is such a, like, such a valuable creative place and i mean that took a big hit when disney purchased them outright what almost 20 years ago now but yeah. even more so i think like to to lose them to do dilute the brand to a point that they're basically just you know also disney would really be a travesty and i think that seems to be where we're heading well it's only the first couple weeks of the year man we'll see we'll see what more disney dangers come our way throughout the rest I shudder to think, Seamus, but should we move on over to some other giant behemoth monsters that don't care about human life? <laughs> yes, let's, that's a great way to put it. Let's do it. For today's main segment, we are doing the entire first season of Apple TV Plus's Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Surprising is how I'll start this. This is the first bit of, like, real Godzilla content I've come to since our Zillathon, our episode 150 with Alex. And, you know, I've dabbled here and there. I tried out Godzilla Singular Point and, and a few of the other animated things I've, I've taken a look at. But this was very interesting. I'll 
I'll say, I, we, we were both obviously drawn in by the Russell boys who are playing very interesting, the same character in different eras of, of this story. But overall, I was actually really impressed by how they did pretty much everything and fitting it very comfortably into the, the legendary, the monarch-verse of Godzilla stuff. I was ready going into this to be like, the first few episodes, I was like, I just wish this weren't in the legendary-verse so that they could do whatever they wanted. Mm. But most of the show, they're able to navigate well enough that I don't mind at all. And obviously, there are some major tie-ins with characters that are from the movies, namely from Kong Skull Island, which is my favorite legendary movie, certainly. For as close to the 20... Was it 2013? The initial Godzilla reboot for Legendary, was that? 2014. 2014. For as close as... It, and I don't I don't love that movie. I, I don't even remember much of that movie, if I'm being honest. It's been so long since I, I dove into that one, but I kind of loved how closely related... It, like, it really it amplifies a lot of what I remember being not a great Godzilla movie in that original one with how they treat that time frame. They're, they kind of jump forward enough to, like, throw in more insane things in the actual installments of the the film sequels but this felt i was kind of locked in with how much they gave to it being in you know 2015 specifically like not very far removed from the emergence of titans the big difference i think being there are actually characters that are interesting in this show i these are far and away the most interesting characters in any of the legendary stuff and it's not just (laughs) because it's television and they have more time i think from jump they are fundamentally more interesting specifically lee shaw who is played by both kurt and wyatt russell and keiko mary yamamoto are great characters i think those are transcendent characters yeah big big fan and i i also i started this and there's quite a bit of time jumping back and forth to do uh like a flashback storyline with those characters and i was like well i can already see myself getting bogged down in my viewing experience by how they're gonna jump back and forth but it added so much more than i thought it ever would to the overall story and the character of lee shaw who i love so so much honestly one of my favorite legendary characters of of anything that they have put out period yeah i think probably um he and keiko are probably my two favorites period like absolutely and I think there's a lot of other great characters in this. I enjoy the little Randa kids, Kate and Kentaro. Yeah, I, again, a sibling thing that I was like, well, I know where this is going, and it, I was wrong. I was so happy to be wrong and unannoyed by the relationship that they end up developing throughout the season. Yes, and even characters that would usually be annoying and I think Legendary has done versions of that are annoying are not annoying. Namely, I know you're Tim. Yeah, buddy, I do. Dude, Columbo is zaddy. This guy is kind of the best. (laughs) He's like kind of handsome and and competent, but also funny and a little bit bumbling. Not bumbling enough to be like the guy that's running around with Eleven and Russell from Deadpool 2 in whatever movie that was. But like actually a fun character who, you know, the the allegiances, you shuffle around a few times and and you're not really sure you have a, a read on a few 
characters, but he, the way they do Tim, I very much hope I see him in some movies sometime. And I really have said multiple times on this show before, I have very little patience for Monarch in the movies. I think it's a boring organization. Like, see, the Meg has the, the like, shadow <laughs> monster yeah, hunting yeah. Com- company, but they never do it. Like, they never bother with any of the politics. They don't, That doesn't matter. That's just a means to an end for those movies. But in the legendary movies, they're always like, Monarch is the most important organization in the world, and I don't care. And this is the first time in a show called Monarch, you would hope that they found a way to make it interesting, and they did. It's the first time that I've cared about Monarch, and I think they very tangibly find a way to reconcile the Monarch from Kong Skull Island and the Monarch from the rest of the movie. Oh man, I I have never, uh, when I wrapped up that finale the other day, I've never wanted to start throwing on legendary movies more. And you, I, I never want to, except for pretty much Skull Island, like you were saying. I, I, I'm ready for like kind of a wrap up, round up again of all of those because of how well they were able to kind of fold in the stuff that, like you were saying, definitely annoyed us as we were trying to get into these regular Godzilla mega blockbuster releases that they've been trying to get people on for years now. But I I think for maybe the first time that I have ever been a part of it, a television show tie-in is going to actually add a ton to whatever next installment that it might affect. For me, at least, as as a viewer who kind of binged this show over three days and, and kind of loved every second of it. I am really shocked. There are definitely some plot points that I did not care for. Kiersey Clemens is great. I think she's, she's a great actor. I do not care for that character or whatever stupid crap is going on with her backstory like that is that may is that who you're talking That's about may. yeah i does not work for me at all unfortunately we'll we'll get it once we once we hit the spoiler dam we will you know there's some stuff towards the end that feels like they were just like all right we got to wrap this up let's throw this in there let's, let's exactly. figure out how like, this character fits in yeah we'll talk in spoilers about how like some of that stuff has through lines that i'm like okay i understand why this was in the show but i am still like i don't know man i don't know <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. I found her like that. She was the only time that the human drama had me being like, you know, there's like monsters, right? Do we really need to do this right, oh, right now? Like, <laughs> yeah, I I know what you mean. And I mean, speaking of, I they're the monster to human ratio, and we'll definitely get into the details of that once we once we get over the curtain here. But I I was left a little bit wanting. You know, I'm a giant monster fan, and we did get very interesting and cool ways that they executed that in the scale of what this show was trying to do to fill in these time gaps between the major installments but I I would love like to I would have liked some more monsters my friend I, I think that is not the craziest thing to want out of a Godzilla television show but I guess it is technically the monarch show and, and they, they definitely delivered on that in a way that was satisfying despite the lack of monsters I think that they pace the monsters well enough that I I don't mind. Like you said, obviously with budgetary constraints, you're just not going to be able to have mm-hmm. the giant monster fights that we've come to expect from these kinds of movies. But the character drama is compelling enough. And I, I said this to you the other day, I was pleasantly surprised that by the time I would really get to a point with a show where I'd be like, we really need a monster mm. to come through. Usually there would be one. So that is true. That is true. They, they're they're 
the way that they use them when they do use them, it, it works very well. And like you're saying, it's, you know, not all at once, plenty of good, like, flashbacks and, and shorter scenes with the monsters that feel, we do get a little taste of Skull Island, we get a little taste of uh, San Francisco in 2014, you know, we, we get plenty of, of interesting moments, but I guess I guess I really just want to watch more Godzilla movies. I know we have so many to, to get under our belt, but this was a great little appetizer if you want to get into the more human-y stuff of Monarch. And honestly, if you are not a person who watches the legendary movies, who cares about the legendary movies, I would still recommend this show. And I was pretty hesitant about where I would fall on that until I finished the full season. And I think it delivers strong enough storytelling and compelling enough characters that it is genuinely worth watching. And I don't think you're going to get super lost with any timeline stuff if you aren't familiar. Especially, I mean, like, you know what Godzilla is. You know what the premise is. I think, honestly, probably the movie that you would need to watch the most for season one would be Skull Island, weirdly enough. Yeah, I guess you're you're not wrong. They they pretty they lay it out the the G Day. I do I I kind of like the introduction of the phrase G Day. Is this where they mm-hmm. throw that in there for the first time? I have no. I've seen King of the Monsters and Kong versus Godzilla one time each, and I do not care <laughs> to revisit them. So I cannot tell you. Shavis. I do. I'm making you watch all those with me. By the way, you know I'm gonna make you watch even the bad ones, especially the bad ones. I actually I don't hate King of the Monsters, but I really did not care for Kong versus Godzilla. I just I need I need to to revisit with our new Godzilla brains. They you know they yeah. inserted the mecha the mech brains into our our bodies here, and, and we're gonna know what all the references are, man. Come on, Charles Dance put us in the Pacific Rim helmets, and yeah, sure, Charles Dance put us in the. I should I maybe I, for as much as I'm talking about giant monsters, I've still never seen the Pacific Rim movies either. Either of them. I, I saw the first one years and years ago, and I don't remember very much about it. But they have like I'm. It doesn't matter. I'm not going down this rabbit hole. I think it's time to call spoilers. Yes. Oh, God, yes. And we're going to get to Pacific Rim. Let's call spoilers on Monarch. So, where to start, Seamus? Where where would you like to begin? Where would we like to begin? The 50s flashbacks are phenomenal. I really oh. love how... I mean, if we're let's just start timeline-wise at this point, I guess. Wyatt Russell, Anders Holm, like the, the whole like Monarch setup where we get to see the more baby steps between Project Monarch being like a... a military operation through Wyatt Russell to like this more scientific preservational style monarch that is the Mm -hmm. ideal of what it is I thought it was fantastic the whole bikini atoll like nuclear tests as that famous like attempt on Godzilla yeah it was awesome to have that like on the beach insight to that they mention it you know from time to time like that was America's first you know that's when we realized that we, we had no chance to stop it or whatever but to like have them on the beach just watching it go down i i loved all of that all the way through and that especially those first few episodes i was in a place where i was like i really wish this were just the 50s show oh yeah honestly not that i, not that I don't like the the stuff in the modern day but it's certainly less compelling to start but they are able to tie everything together so well in the last few episodes that i really am into the structure of mm. this season and again i think the chemistry between wyatt russell and mary yamamoto is super palpable i i've never seen her in anything before she's incredible she should be in every kind of like wyatt russell should be in everything, in everything. <laughs> they should be in everything together maybe because yeah they were electric together and and anders Holm is good in this again i don't 
I he's playing John Goodman's character from Kong Skull Island. I don't really see that casting choice, but I think he is good in the show. I see the way he's written is a good starting point for Goodman's character because you can see uh-huh. over the course of those flashbacks how he goes from a well-meaning, curious guy who had this awful thing happen to him and is trying to, to to figure it out to a man obsessed and then a man broken by the death of his wife and like an absentee father and like seeing him slip into that really as more of a background character in this series was I think very well done and very rewarding and it made me want to go back and like recon- like think about Skull Island in that context mm-hmm. not that obviously they had any idea that any of that was going to be later put onto that <laughs> character uh well i mean I, it would still be interesting you know the retroactive justifications that they're doing with anders home but then we we get a, towards the end of the season we get a couple time skip time jump uh captain america style experiments going on here mm-hmm. and we kind of miss that entire and i guess that is us like having already seen Skull Island and knowing what his whole deal is there but like it would have been you know I would have liked to have seen him grow into John Goodman a little bit more yeah and I mean they've left enough I think that there's very very strategic time jumps in here where they've left room for things another thought I'm going because like you said when they they go down into the wrinkle in time world (laughs) in the center of the earth where time works differently and that is why Kurt Russell is 100 years old and that's why um (laughs) you know and and we get it we'll get into the finale a little bit more I do think that they're very specifically leaving things open for like there's not only time jumps where they could go and put in like a John Goodman story that doesn't have Wyatt Russell in it or whatever. But also I keep thinking if they want to bring any of the Skull Island characters back, that is the way they can do it. Very they, true, if you want yeah. Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston in a new movie with Millie Bobby Brown, I think that that, and especially the fact that they reveal that there is a base on Skull Islands. I, I like, it's a very convenient not to say that they will do that but i think i can see the wheels turning a little bit there i mean the just the sentence that you just said of tom hiddleston brie larson and millie bobby brown you're like executives hear that and they're like seeing money already you know like they want (laughs) to do that anyway that's probably the stepping stones that we're getting to here a little bit more with now everyone is a weird age and they're all kind of here together suddenly in at, at the same time we're gonna you know, they're going to figure something out there to make it all fold in together. And we'll get a Mando Grogu movie style with with all oh, that stuff goodness. together. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I even want that to happen, even though I would love to see those characters come back in some way. I would be much more interested in a it's the 70s again and here's more monster hunting. I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that if that was going to happen, it would have happened by now. I think. Well, I was just going to say, I don't know if Monarch is, is a popular show, really, or if this is kind of reinvigorating people before the the movie, the next uh, Kong Godzilla movie. I feel like it, it might be, like you said, it's kind of, it could have the potential, Monarch, to draw in less Godzilla-focused people and kind of reinvigorate the fan base a little bit for the upcoming whatever slate of however many things they're doing. I said this on the podcast at the time, that it struck me that Godzilla vs. Kong seemed like it was kind of supposed to be the end of all this 
there's no big tease for anything coming <laughs> later. There's no, you know, it's like Kong has his happy ending. Godzilla and Kong have their happy end. Like none of the characters are in any weird spot. And I think that movie, that movie way, made way more money than any of the other MonsterVerse movies during the pandemic. And I think that now we're kind of seeing them. This is a new transitional phase for them where they're figuring out what this is going to be. Because this is also the only successful cinematic universe, really, other than Marvel. Yeah, I mean, at this point, what uh, what other things are even on the table that have such weird history and, like, potential for expansion in the internal lore? So, and, I'm, and again, I don't want to get bogged down in cinematic universes and all that stuff, but I think that this is, like, a very intentional, they're feeling out where to go from here with this show. And if this, I, 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 I was not inspired by the Godzilla X Kong trailer, but if they can get more of what they have going on in here, I would be very happy about that. Yeah, I, I want I want a season two with you know even more in between flashbacks, perhaps kind of like we were saying, fill in the Anders home gap while everybody's lost around. Um, you know, bring in bring in some of this human drama energy into whatever the next one is going to be. I truly couldn't care even if you paid me about Millie Bobby Brown and her mom who wants to destroy the Earth and all that. Her mom has been dead for two movies, Seamus. I know, but like the, the way that the <laughs> Kurt Russell, old Kurt Russell, old Lee Shaw is like he had he has a similar like they are the apex beings on this yes. planet we need to like work together in yes. a way that i actually can you know see and a little bit get behind but millie Brown brown's mom who has a name and she's in all those all those scary movies and i'm sure i'll remember <laughs> it one day vera farmiga of course uh she kind of just sucked i didn't like the way that they no. d- tried to shoehorn that in and she's it, like super righteous about everything it was kind of the worst but it's almost like those movies aren't written well <laughs> yeah but now they 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 reeled it back they were like all right we have the kernel of a good idea here and we're just going to give it to kurt russell to actually the follow through kurtle we have a kurtle of oh gross never mind that's a grosser way to say, <laughs> grosser way to say that uh i mean he yeah he's terrific when he goes like full colonel kurtz at the end yes there, yes and... exactly but then also like the the flashbacks and the the growth that we get to see him they like imprison and drug him for decades which is kind of the oh, saddest yeah. thing ever like i thought we were gonna get like and then i was on the run for years before <laughs> Monarch caught up to me, but no, they just get him instantly. It's so sad. But I think again, they also it feels a little like they maybe strategically left. Like it just it just jumps from him being Wyatt Russell to Kurt Russell. There, there's and a I'm like time he in between. Yeah, exactly. Escaped there, and you know <laughs> maybe somebody came to see him. And... The the director of Monarch is like, it's been years since your last escape attempt. What made you you know try it again or whatever? Like he could yeah. he could have absconded found the dad for a little while again exactly so i'm not saying that all of that's going to happen but again i think that's one another example of their convenient time skipping where they're like well there's just this decades long period where we're not really going to touch that the turn of of him from being like i'm part of the heroes and we're all here together to the adversary of the show is something that I was afraid was going to get really tired really fast, but they really only do it for one episode yeah, because they, then they all get sucked down into the into the world between worlds there. And, and, and there's also a couple episodes where you're, you're like unsure a little bit. You're not sure like, oh, is this lady who looks like the lady from Titan? Is she 
really double crossing? Like, who's her allegiance to? And like, why is you know? Oh, I don't care about that character at all, though. I wish I did. That's the one where I'm like, this feels like <laughs> this. Yep, she's from the legendary verse, all right. Yeah, <laughs> Kurt Russell needed like a henchman, you know, like a henchman who's also kind of a little bit in charge until Kurt Russell swaggers on the screen, you know. The only thing I do like really is that she and Tim are together at the beginning, and they're like he's less comfortable with her doing bad guy stuff and she's ruthless and she doesn't care about human life and da, da, da. And then at the end she does save his life which i like i like that beat yeah yeah that's it's it's not bad at all there there's i mean tim as a character i would like to maybe circle back a little bit more it, everything in my brain was telling me what kind of character that was going to be and then the the globe trottiness that we kind of referenced up top with the edge of history the, the way that this is that formula the national treasure show but done right in a, in a way mm-hmm. that there is this the sillier characters but the the Again, same thing with pretty much every other main monarch character. They're you're not sure as you're bouncing around how they are actually how they how evil are they? Are they maybe you know, for the greater good in a way that bad guys often say that they are, but are not, you know, I, 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 I enjoyed him a lot and I, I was so sure that they were going to kill him by the end of this. Me too. I, I yeah. was, I was saying my prayers for Tim pretty much since the map on the wall bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought they just unceremoniously killed him in that helicopter for a while. I was like, wow, that, that guy is <laughs> gone. Oh uh, yeah. They go, no survivors from that helicopter crash. I was like, oh, okay. I guess. <laughs> All right, I guess. Because at that point, he is much more of an adversary. Like, he's not really that very likable yet. And so it feels like, well, they, yeah, they could just, you know, that's his comeuppance and he gets gets got and then later we'll get the big bad lady or whatever, and which who also doesn't die. Nope, not a lot of people die. I'm kind of surprised by that, actually. I mean, we only, pretty much we only have Kurt Russell dies. Is that the only real and, major one? And once again, I think that's a great ending for that character. And I think he should be dead. He could just be alive down there. It's like, he could just not. Very true. <laughs> they could just get those hovercrafts from Skull Island to be like, oh yeah, we have these now. And we could just I not do the time th- thing. That's why I hate <laughs> that stupid movie. Why is everything science fiction? That, like, uh. like, the appeal of those earlier ones is it's monsters in a world that is not prepared for them. It's normal monster stuff. Like normal world, giant monsters. Yes. Great. This show is like that. Godzilla 2014, Kong Skull Island, to a lesser extent, um, King of the Monsters. But when they get into all, like, they've got hovercrafts and they've got all this, like, they've got the magic dome from Hunger Games <laughs> that they're keeping uh, Kong in and all yeah. that. I just hate that stuff. And I I think Mecha God, like, this, that is the reason they make that jump is because that's not a universe that can sustain Mecha Godzilla, but guess what? Here he is. Which brings us to the fact that it that is the company, right? That is oh, yeah. Yeah, Apex Cybernetics. Yeah. Yep. Yes, oh, sir. Yes, it is. And you know, I... you know, famously, as we learned during our Godzilla thon, who was the first giant monster to get a mecha version? That's King Kong, baby. Interesting. I think they're gearing up for. It. I think that was what the ultimate tease was: is that hey, Mecha Godzilla didn't work. Let's send in his real adversary in mecha form, King well, Kong. It's twenty. So it's twenty seventeen at the end of the show. Oh right, yeah. Where years, does that? <laughs> Fuck. Two years before King of the Monsters. 
And I think that's like a, again, really convenient place for them to be in where they've got just some time to do whatever they want. Also the fact that they're on Skull Island away from the rest of the world. If they don't have the Marvel problem where, well, if this happened, wouldn't we have heard about that? Wouldn't the Avengers be there? Right, yeah, they're, they're a little more isolated. Maybe, I, I mean, I wouldn't hate a Monarch season two where it's almost exclusively set on, you know, modern day Skull Island. That's the dream. That? And, that's, and that's also where I'm starting to see like Tom Hiddleston's there. Whittling a stick. Yes, maybe. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Because, okay, this is a really stupid timeline thing. When, during Skull Island, does John Goodman go have his little solo adventure out to the coast? <laughs> to to throw... toss a bag. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I would have to rewatch Skull Island and then just, like, he'll be off screen and I'll be like, that's he's running from a big spider at the moment. That's fine. Because, I mean, the implication is that that's around the time that they see the big spider in that in right, the movie. Right, yeah. I would think, but I'm just like, I think that's a very strange, I, it makes sense, but it's almost like, the, why didn't they just have him not on Skull Island? Why didn't they just have him, like, leave it in a chest or something somewhere? And I know it's because they wanted to connect back to it, but, you know, it's, I, I think that's a very interesting choice. Uh, I know that they're they're playing with fire a little bit with the sci-fi e-ness they they've got apex in here they've got the time travel angle or the time distortion angle however you want to say that they still kept it kind of close to the vest with how they got wyatt russell into that center of the earth area with the old 50s tech and the the army the military being all super involved they send him into the rift i don't understand like what do you mean no i'm saying like like the the lag, like it wasn't, it wasn't the flippy hovercraft from Skull Island. Oh, it was, it was still yes. very much felt like, oh yeah, they're just like launching these guys in a shuttle thing into the into the rift or whatever. It felt I, felt right. I like that it feels like an Apollo mission, which is yes, what exactly. This stuff should feel like, and I hate like that's why I hate that everything's just so floaty and fluttery and easy. <laughs> like it, there is something that's very satisfying and exciting about makeshift, like less advanced technology like, like yeah the the lost. gamma ray what what do they call it the gamma ray the spoofer or whatever they're like <laughs> making the the fake gamma rays to attract them and it's just like this giant ball of wires in a rowboat in in the water and you're like that's exact that's exactly what that would look like that that it looks perfect did you also spend a lot of the finale thinking because we haven't talked about this. Keiko has been alive down there for 50 years. And you think about how every single man in her life absolutely failed her by oh not my God. finding that gamma signal. Like her husband went off and went off to Skull Island and Lee, who was in love with her, didn't figure it out. I mean, he wasn't a scientist, but still, and her son, who was obsessed with all the Hollow Earth stuff, didn't figure out that there was a signal coming from down there. And I'm just like, guys, I am like, I, it's so frustrating. <laughs> frustrating because i understand why she doesn't want to come back because who is she coming back to all the men who let her down for literal decades yeah it's it's weird to think about the timing on that because you have you have her disappearance in that like reactor place in the in the late 50s ish and then you have her husband like going doing rift stuff in the 70s successfully with these vehicles like all of this stuff that for every reason should be like oh why is it John Goodman talking about his disappeared wife like even if there was a chance he's a crazy guy like why wouldn't he take resources to go do some crazy rescue mission if even if it whatever it's I agree it feels like she's just like 
forgotten as a new character who they just wrote into this universe for this yeah. TV show. Feels like she was forgotten pretty instantly. And I guess to be fair, Russell doesn't get out until the 80s, which means that she cannot find and repurpose the Gamma until at least the 80s. So John Goodman's been dead a decade at that point. But still, and and I guess Kurt Russell has also been imprisoned immediately afterward. Yes, true. But her son, dude, come on. Like, if you're going to be a deadbeat dad to two different families and still not find your missing mom. Yeah, wow. What a strange thing that the entire show felt like it was about finding the dad. And he really didn't matter that much at the end. I guess maybe the point was that the two siblings who never knew about each other, they are growing their relationship and finding out, mm-hmm. you know, what they mean to each other and that without the father and his absent ways, but I felt like there wasn't really much of a payoff even in the end when he's reunited with his young mother. It feels it feels weird that he doesn't matter at all pretty much. Well, there's two big recurring motifs which are I mean, it's not like they're subtle, which are duality and like the entire opening credits and the monarch symbol Mm. and the fact that it's two timelines and it's all about and the fact there are two families, everything. There's two of everything. And the the separation of worlds and the separation of the self and who are you to different people like that is all very present. Who are you at like? Are you the same person that's brought up pretty much every episode? How you are two different people after you go through a big event. Like whether that is a school bus full of children not getting saved by Superman oh, and falling off the Golden Gate Bridge, or being time travel Captain America and then stuck in a retirement community, quote unquote, for forty years, or you know, like May having literal two different names, two different lives two different backgrounds. So you you have that going on, which I think is interesting and well thought out. I don't think it says anything particularly interesting about it, but it is like I kudos to the show for being about something and it is about that. And it is also about the way that parents let down their children. That is a super recurring thing through the whole show. And specifically the Randa clan are just constantly oh, yeah. letting each other down. And I think that's why it's so interesting that then I feel like not so not only is Hero stuck letting down his children in this long line of letting her children down, but also he's retroactively letting down his mother by not finding her. Oh, but now we have three generations of crazy people all together on Skull Island at the end there. Uh, it's, it's weird that May asked... Is it, it, was it weird to you that May asked them to call her May still, even though that she's like, my past is clear and I can I be who I want to be and I'm May's- maybe in love with the main lady... Exactly. May's character is just weird. I don't think she has a definite point of view. Like, it's the most edge of history also where they're woke, but we don't know how to write that, so... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, a little little bit. It feels like she was just the foot in the door for whatever company to turn into Apex, and... Exactly. We're gonna have her betray the group once or twice, which, you know, they... Yeah, whatever. It didn't feel like even much happened. They were still like friends with her. They're like she's, we we told her that we hate her now, but like, where did she go? She's our friend. It's like she probably left. Dog, what do you mean? And I hate that. Again, she's like, she, it, it is a little bit of like she she betrayed them because woke. And I'm like, guys, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, but that is kind. 
She pulled an Ant Man is like corporate espionage for the greater good or whatever, and then it, but it whatever. also is it's very frustrating on top of all that because a big appeal to me of the modern component of the show is these are just normal people that are caught up in a whirlwind adventure, except for May, who is like a active super on the run espionage person hacker and i'm like this is stupid it's so it it elevates an element that doesn't that doesn't need to be elevated i think she would be a lot more interesting if she were just like a computer savvy person who like if they had given her a less interesting reason to run away i think that yeah. actually would be better for the character <laughs> yeah they, i she think they were still trying to pile apex. i mean yeah that's so, true I mean, it, it seemed like they were they were coaching a reveal with the apex stuff that like much like you when that happened i was like i'm pretty sure that that's the company that made Mechgodzilla. But I, it wasn't like a, oh my god, May was working for Apex the whole time. Like, it, it, it didn't really have the gravitas that they revealed that with at the end, I think. No, clearly they thought that was going to be something. That's the most cinematic <laughs> university it gets in a negative way, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. I was still like, oh, sure, okay, we're, do- okay, we're, we're crossing over. We need to do that or else, you know, the producers of this show why, why did they even make that show they made this to to tie in and as long as it wasn't as corny as it could have been which i'm sure it could have been a lot worse they're like they come back and they're already in the hangar with mecha Ghidorah's there or whatever we're like oh well yeah. whatever then i also don't super you know i get that they need to have somebody at a bank roll at the end that when it comes through with that, I'm like, okay, I guess it was worth doing all of that crap for this. I also don't feel like it's even a reveal at that point. Like, by the time they say Apex, you're like, okay, they're working on remote brain infusion or whatever. Yeah, the- like, it's clearly supposed to be that already. And so by the time she's like, Charles, dance on the phone. <laughs> yes, Ben. Yes, say hi to Abigail for oh, me, Ben. Christ, yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I I am glad it was at least that subtle, if, if that's even saying anything. They, they, weren't, they weren't going as far over the top as any other Marvel thing would. I, I Overall, again, I liked the show a lot. It's just that one little subplot that doesn't really work for me. The rest of the stuff I thought was really compelling, and I like the characters, and I'm excited to see more of them. And I think that, like, May could be an int- Again, Kiersey Clemens, I think, is a really good actor, and I would like to see her given material that is worthy of uh-huh. her. Well, season two, we'll see. Who knows? Maybe it'll be maybe it'll be the, our favorite long-running franchise tie-in show. Well, we don't have many of those left, do we, Shamus? Uh, no, we do not. Star Wars has let us down, except for Andor, pretty much. And the Bad Batch. And the Bad Batch. And Young Jedi Adventures. And Young Jedi... I... You know I love my boy Nubs. Uh, <laughs> Nubs versus Godzilla. Who do you think wins that? I mean, lightsabers are pretty strong. Lightsabers are pretty strong, and Nubs Nubs is pretty strong. He can lift a bunch of boxes. He does it in the opening <laughs> credits every every week. Yeah, okay, Dude, we a bunch of boxes. Doing... Bunch it. of boxes. Godzilla. I think same thing. God. All right. I think we're spinning. I think that's it. I think I think Monarch was good as well. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for Nubs in season two. I don't know what to say. <laughs> 
Uh, they would love nubs on on. <laughs> they like send. To... They've got Baby Kong in the new in the new Kong. So oh you know, god, we're gonna have Baby Godzilla nubs. too. Well, we might as well bring him in from that we whatever weird one was that Final Wars. But Baby that Godzilla was Final was... Wars. That was your least favorite oh, part of Final Wars. It was bu- <laughs> oh, all right. Well, if they bring it back, it's same design. I'm in. I've changed my mind. <laughs> Uh, but why don't we go ahead and move on over to our pop culture reference, Seamus? Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about the history of Tom Cruise's relationship with Hollywood Studios. With the announcement of Tom Cruise's new relationship with Warner Brothers Discovery, we thought we'd take a look back at the movie star's storied relationships with various studios and how those relate to today's news. While we won't spend much time on Cruz's early career, it is worth noting that Risky Business, the film that truly put him on the map, was a Warner Brothers film. As any rising actor does, he worked with a variety of studios, seemingly prioritizing the talent he was working with over any meaningful studio loyalty. The movie that made Tom Cruise a megastar as well as changed his dynamic with studios was Top Gun from Paramount Pictures, which was a cultural behemoth upon release. While he had no official deal with Paramount, the only star they had under contract at the time was Eddie Murphy, Cruz represented the studio as the host of the celebration of Paramount's 75th anniversary on a 1987 episode of Entertainment Tonight. He still continued to bounce around from studio to studio, with back-to-back turns in Rain Man for MGM and Born on the Fourth of July for Universal, giving him more weight as a serious actor. In 1993, he and his agent, Paula Wagner, formed the production company Cruz Wagner Productions. They signed a three-year multi-picture deal with Paramount, which would be renewed and expanded several times over the next 14 years. The first film from this deal came in 1996 with Mission Impossible, which also starred Cruz in the lead role. Cruz Wagner produced two additional Mission Impossible films for Paramount, as well as other Cruz vehicles, Vanilla Sky and War of the Worlds. They did also produce for other studios during this time, including Minority Report for Fox and The Last Samurai for Warner Brothers. In August 2006, a few months after the release of Mission Impossible 3, Paramount announced that they would end their 14-year relationship with Cruz due to his years-long campaign against psychiatry bolstered by the Church of Scientology, which included cruel language specifically targeted at Brooke Shields' handling of her postpartum depression, as well as Scientologists picketing the office of a psychiatrist whom Steven Spielberg mentioned to Cruz. In late 2006, following Cruz issuing an apology to Brooke Shields, Cruz Wagner announced a deal that gave them 30% stake of United Artists, meaning that they were now in charge of development and production for the studio. Wagner was named CEO while Cruz served as a producer and sometimes star. In the next two years, UA produced two films starring Cruz, Valkyrie, a World War II thriller that was a moderate critical and financial success, and Lions for Lambs, which was neither. The UA deal ultimately fell apart in 2008 when Wagner stepped down as CEO, with MGM eventually reacquiring its 100% stake in the studio. This also marked the end of Cruise Wagner Productions. Cruise himself repartnered with Paramount for 2011's Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. It was Paramount's initial wish for Ghost Protocol to transition Cruise away from the franchise's lead and replace him with Jeremy Renner. Cruise brought in screenwriter Christopher McQuarrie, whom he had instantly connected with while making Valkyrie, to do an uncredited rewrite which, among other things, changed the ending to have Cruz's character remain a field agent. These story changes combined with the film's massive critical and commercial success, it was Cruz's highest grossing film of his career up until that point, are largely credited with saving Tom Cruise's career and securing his relationship with Paramount. 
While starring in films for other studios like Edge of Tomorrow and The Mummy, the next decade saw a return to the close relationship between Cruise and Paramount. Not only did they produce two more Mission Impossible films directed by Christopher McQuarrie, but also the two mildly successful Jack Reacher films, on which Paula Wagner served as a producer. The crowning achievement of his collaboration, and some might argue Cruz's career, came with the release of 2022's Top Gun Maverick. The long-awaited sequel was a smash, critical, and box office success, largely credited with revitalizing moviegoing after the COVID-19 pandemic. It broke several box office records, was the only Cruise film to ever gross more than a billion dollars, and the second highest grossing movie in Paramount's history, only behind Titanic. With that major success, expectations were high for Cruise and Paramount's next collaboration, 2023's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. However, due to a variety of factors including an inflated budget caused by the pandemic and a release date only a week before Barbie and Oppenheimer, the film massively underperformed at the box office. Now, as Tom Cruise announces a new partnership with Warner Bros. Discovery, it seems his decades-long relationship with Paramount may be at an end. Insiders say that Cruise was frustrated with how much he had to fight with Paramount to keep Top Gun Maverick off of streaming during the pandemic and following its release in theaters. While he may have triumphed with Maverick, he also unsuccessfully lobbied Paramount executives to move Dead Reckoning's opening to not compete with the Barmanheimer phenomenon. With Cruise and his creative partners teasing a new phase in his career, and the next Mission Impossible seemingly being the last with his involvement, it remains to be seen what will come from a partnership between Hollywood's most influential star and today's most famously volatile movie studio. Man, oh man, he's the power that he is going to wield at Warner Brothers, I feel like, is going to... That, I mean, I assume that's why he took such a, a massive deal, is that he won't have to grovel to so many higher-ups. Maybe he's going to be able to make some of the decisions as a filmmaker that he knows is going to just generally benefit the projects that he is a part of. And if anybody is going to have that kind of inside knowledge of that super weird, flip-floppy studio system, I think Tom Cruise has a pretty first-hand knowledge that I think is actually very valuable in that role. So it's interesting to look back at how, how strange and all over the place that his career has led him to work with these studios. And he definitely had some missteps along the way uh, to both, I mean, like, personally, certainly, but also oh, yeah. professionally. And it's very interesting to see that despite all of that, and especially following his 2011 recombination with Paramount, that he's the last movie star with anywhere near that kind of juice. He has so much power in a way that most stars do not. And I think that he's been very vocal on kind of like an alternate lens of trying to help young stars gain that kind of power to be smarter about their decisions. I know that he gave a lot of advice to people like Jeremy Renner and Henry Cavill on Mission Impossible movies, and that also he really wants to promote all of the guys from the Top Gun movies. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like the younger folks, and so it's it's really really interesting to see that this is probably him entering the last phase of his career, and how is he going to choose to wield that power as he as he goes out? Basically, I'm looking forward to it a lot to see what he can do in that position. Like you said, you know, especially during the Maverick run of things, and knowing like how he worked with all of these young actors and how much they 
like when they were speaking about him and his his methods and his advice and the way what it is to work with him it seems like he's ready for that kind of guidance role he's i'm i'm again i'm just very excited to see what he's gonna do with that he seems to have the eye he's got the it factor he's got the chutzpah to you know to lead hollywood back to where it needs to be i think I hope that he's able to to straighten out Warner Brothers Discovery a little bit. Maybe Zaslav will get kicked out of there, but that that's a fool's dream. <laughs> it could be, you know, there can be only one style. Maybe Tom Cruise will, will take the throne at some point. But why don't we go ahead and move on over to save the rec center? Let's do it. Save the rec center! Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly rec commendations. Garrett, what do you got for me this week? I recently watched on the Criterion Channel the 1962 samurai movie Sanjiro, starring Toshiro Mifune and directed by the legendary Akira Kurosawa. It is technically a sequel to the earlier film Yojimbo, which is famously the basis for Fistful of Dollars, but I think it certainly stands on its own. And I was really blown away by how a movie that is essentially the same story beat repeated multiple times and also just a lot of talking in rooms, it's such a thrilling, exciting action movie i watched it specifically because i was kind of having a star wars itch and i was like but i want to watch something that's not star wars i wanted to see one of the influences of star wars which i think you you can probably relate to that feeling sometimes oh definitely yeah i was certainly not disappointed it is currently streaming on criterion channel but i also believe it is on canopy for those who have that through their local library yeah, that's one that I've always wanted to see. There, I just got my Seven Samurai Criterion for Christmas. I'm very excited to, you know, dive into all those supplements and stuff. But I know there, those are two, both of those ones you were just mentioning are two that I've always wanted to to dive into a little more. I've, I've got less knowledge in that realm than I feel like I should, but I know those are, like, heralded as absolutely some of the best of the era. But Seamus, what do you have this week? Well, the other thing I got for Christmas movie-wise this year was the Scream Factory special They Live 4K, which is just an absolute treat. I think this is one of the most slept on Carpenter movies because it doesn't have it doesn't have old Kurt Russell in it, but it does have Rowdy Piper and Keith David, young, amazing action heroes that they are in this movie. It influenced so much weird, campy sci-fi stuff, and it was influenced by so much really grotesque, bizarre sci-fi stuff, as John Carpenter's work often is, but it's nonstop fun and weird. It's maybe undersung because it's so weird and feels like it's spinning its wheels of just, like, running around doing crazy sci-fi action stuff but the creature designs are phenomenal the 45 minute fist fight scene in the alley where rowdy piper's <laughs> trying to get keith david to put on the sunglasses is truly iconic it is one of my favorite fight scenes in cinema history it's overall a blast and i i couldn't recommend it more i know i'm sure you've seen they live right garrett that's that's not what Actually, i have to tell you somehow to. no oh as, dude. as a carpenter boy i am ashamed of it 
it, but I, I, I think I'm gonna have to Im- implore you to bring that 4K over sometime. I am gonna, I'll watch it literally anytime with you. I just watched it over the holidays, but I'm ready. I'm ready to like today to watch this with you. It is one of my favorites, and you know, I think if it were a Kurt Russell role, like it feels like it could be, but Rowdy Piper brings so much as like this vagrant kind of a bum dude just just wandering around that stumbles into this position. It's phenomenal, and I highly recommend it. Oh, I'm excited to watch it. But that wraps up the show this week. If you want to reach us on social media, that's at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find us and like our page on Facebook, and you can email us directly at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be talking about Jason Statham's The Beekeeper. I, yes, we are. I was hoping you'd bust out the Statham voice, which, honestly, both of us don't have a very good Statham. Well, <laughs> guess we're going to have to fix that then. <laughs> it's the bailout. Bailout. We got, yeah, we'll have a better one. We have better Stathams immediately post-Statham movie viewing, so I think we, we'll we'll come around on it a little more. I, I am psyched. I have been psyched about this movie since we saw the trailer before something like four months ago. Something so, it's like a last voyage of Demeter or some, some, some random one that we don't remember. But we're seeing it. We're seeing it in IMAX. I am, I'm through. It'll be our first 2024 movie, I think. So yeah, I think, wait, you saw Aquaman too, didn't you? That came out of Christmas though. So, oh my God, time is so weird. It's like we're going into the wormhole in Monarch right now. I, I, <laughs> time is very strange, uh, but I am, I am very excited to talk about the beekeeper next week. Adios, amigos.